Hey, Dan, how you doing? I'm doing better than I deserve, Dad. Josh, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing today, Papa? Hey, Josh and Dan. I am fine, thanks to Calvary. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about this evening. I uh, expect to learn some things listening to the both of you. I uh, Final authority is God's word on any of the subjects that we choose to talk about or the Lord should lay upon our heart to discuss. And, of course, this evening about the Trinity uh, in re- just uh, <clears throat> as a result of someone being interested in it. We're all interested in it. The verses of Scripture that I'd like to read as a text for that, uh, there's many references throughout the Scripture concerning the Trinity, and of course, the word Trinity is not recorded in the Bible, but it comes with the understanding of a triune God. These verses uh, in the book of Matthew, in chapter number three, it is uh, recorded where Jesus, when he came, John was baptizing, and uh, Jesus had come to him. He's uh, <clears throat> said, then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan, unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, this is really, really exciting to me, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so for me, that's uh, at least uh, one place in the Scripture among many that uh you can see the three, when I say persons, I would say that with a capital letter of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so just jump in there anytime you want to. We'll talk about many things. So uh, I had the privilege of uh, speaking at uh, a church that, Patty and I uh, attended a long time ago, and uh, it was a small church in in uh, Tampa Bay area, Florida. And uh, I, one Sunday, I was given a task in the absence of our pastor. Apparently, he couldn't find anybody else to speak, so he scraped the bottom of the barrel and he asked me to to teach or speak on this particular passage for the uh, Sunday morning service, and. Um, I found myself when studying this question, when I was when I was looking at what God had said, when in some of the accounts of this, where God wrote or, or spoke, "This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased." I found myself while studying thinking, "Why in the world was God pleased with His Son for getting wet?" Because just mentally standing on the banks, observing the baptism of Jesus. I believe it was a full immersion, but 
the reason I do is because I know that the Jewish practice of mikvah uh, that John likely would have been practicing uh, would have been immersive. But uh, watching that event in my mind, I thought, so what's the significance of this? I mean, because it is fascinating because you see, as Dad was saying, all three persons of the Godhead. So you see Jesus in the water getting wet. You see the Spirit descending like a dove. And then finally you hear the Father saying, this is my beloved Son and with whom I'm well pleased. So all three are present at the same time. And you just don't see this often in Scripture at all. So um, what's the big deal? So it's fascinating because I was actually studying that, and I prayerfully asked the question. Ask God the question. Why was this so significant? And then at that moment, my son, Joshua, called, and he told me, hey, he said, uh, what are you doing tonight or tomorrow night? I forget which it was. It's either that evening or the next. He said, uh, what are you doing? I said, don't really have anything planned. He said, so uh, I'm going to go to a Braves game. And he said, uh, at the Atlanta Braves Stadium, he said, we'll be part of a group of uh, military personnel that are going to carry the American flag onto the field. And just wanted to let you know so maybe you can watch it. So I'm, I'm down in Tampa. He's up in uh, Georgia. I'm saying, I told him, Absolutely. You know, I'll figure that out. As soon as we hung up, I got on the Internet. I was looking for any way I could to watch that game. And the only thing I could find was that it was at a nearby sports bar. And I thought, fine, I'll go there. So I went there, and uh, when I got in, the young lady who's waiting on me, I asked her, so which game, which uh, which screen is the Braves game going to be on? She looked around. She said, I, I don't think it's on at all. And I said, can you put it on one? I I was sure I'm seeming uh, quite anxious while I'm talking to her. She said, you must be a big Braves fan. I said, no, not really. I said, but my son is in the military. And I said, he's going to be carrying a flag at the opening ceremony. And I got to see that game. I got to see my son. And then so she went, she got the remote, figured out how to change the TV in front of me. And when she did, it came up a blue screen. There was no picture. I became very anxious and, and told her, I said, that, that's not what I wanted to see. I want to see the Braves game. She said, sir, she said, the way it works, it's satellite. As soon as the game comes on, the pitcher will show up. I said, okay, all right. And I'm, I'm looking at the time, and I'm thinking, my goodness, I'm, I'm going to miss this thing. And then I'm staring at this blue screen for what seemed like an eternity. And then finally, the pitcher comes on. And then there's text all over the screen, you know, and they're talking about highlights of the upcoming game and discussing some of the stats. And then behind the text, I can see the field. And I see a giant flag and people carrying the flag off of the field. So I have just missed that ceremony. However, I recognized that the people who are carrying the flag are wearing military uniform. Then my heart immediately swelled with pride because I couldn't, you know, he, he was about big as a, an ant on that picture. But I knew that one of those people and uniform was my son. So immediately my heart swelled. And I started telling strangers at the at the adjacent table, one of those guys is my son carrying that flag. And I was proud of my son at that moment. And I sat there and had my dinner, watched a little bit of the game, went home afterwards, sat back down, picked up right where I had left off studying. And I remember I had written the note on my, I had written a question on my notes. What's the big deal? <laughs> And I felt like when I looked at that question again, I felt like the Holy Spirit goes, you get it? And I went, wow. Uh I get it. I get it. Because 
the pride that I felt for my son, it wasn't because he's in a uniform because he's carrying a flag, but it's what symbolized those things that my son was doing. See, my son, much like my father and I both, somewhere in his heart, he found the desire to suspend his life, to serve his country, to serve his family, to serve his neighbors and friends, and to give a portion of his life in service to this country to defect our free, to protect our freedom. And he was willing to lay down his life if it came to that, just as dad was, just as I was, and still am, I would argue, all three of us. But because of our willingness to give our lives for freedom, for even people we may disagree with, people that may look at us politically and consider us enemies, well, we'll still give our lives for those people because that's what it means to be an American. What's great is, as great as that compassion is, as, as great as that self-sacrificing service that I was beginning to realize about my son, that pales in comparison to the sacrifice that the Son of God willfully was willing to lay down his life. He was willfully willing to take on the burden of sin. He was willfully willing to endure the wrath of God, all for us, all for all of mankind, not just Americans, not just Jews, but Jews, Gentiles, everybody. And that was why God was so pleased with his son. God's chest was just swelling with pride when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Because that boy right there is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased because his willingness to sacrifice. But even my pride in him is nothing compared to how proud God is of his Amen. son, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's good. That's good. Gosh, I know you got a lot on your heart. Yeah. This, this subject. Yeah. So I, I approach this as looking at, on how to explain it, on how to explain the Trinity without visual examples, things like that. And even beyond the visual examples, like how trying to relate it to there are passages that, um, that, that point to this is the right way um, to believe because um, there are other people that don't. Um, right. And, and so, which, which is correct, um, in my mind. So <clears throat> first we need to, um, the, in my mind, we need to, uh, to define, uh, or, or point to proof of the divinity, uh, divinity of, uh, the father, the son and the Holy spirit, as well as personhood for the father, the son and the Holy spirit. Um, and then we need to, um, after that, we need to, um, talk about, you know, if there are three of them, um, does that equate to some type of poly, uh, polytheism? And then, um, you know, then at that point, show what the Trinity actually is. And so um, there's a, uh, I think, you know, with the, the Father, I think we can we can all, you know, kind of, uh, and, and please jump in here because this will be, um, if you let me go on, I'll, I'll go on. But um I think with the Father, we can all kind of agree that that there's divinity there. Um, there's definitely personhood there. The question then comes out after the other two, but there, there are two verses they'll pick up on really quick, and Papa, you've already picked up on one of them. Um, but the first is in First Peter, First uh, Peter one, verse uh, 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 two, um, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father uh, of God the Father through the sanctification 
or the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient uh, to uh, to Jesus Christ and sprinkle with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So there, it sh- it shows to um, uh, it shows the divinity of the Father um, shows separate personhood between the Spirit and Jesus Christ. Matthew three. Um, 16 and 17, we've already went over those. Um, I think that with those two, um, to where, where, you know, as soon as I, in verse 16, Matthew 3, as soon as Jesus, or as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water at that moment. The heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God sent upon him, uh, like a dove and alighting, uh, on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love and with whom I am very well pleased. Um, and again, speaks to the personhood of each, but the divinity of, of uh, God. Um, next is is Christ. Um, and with Christ, I want to take a look in um, Colossians chapter 2, um, verse 8. Um, and he says, uh, verse 8 and 9, he says, See to it that no man takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, he depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ for Christ all the full or for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form so there we get again we've already seen that um, all three are separate I don't think that in Matthew chapter 3 that that Christ was or that that God was doing some type of um, you know, uh, um, ventriloquism by by being an earth you know by being only an earthly form and then talking um, from an open cloud and then also coming down as a dove and with the 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 verse in Colossians chapter two we see you know um, the the deity of Christ being fully expressed but also um, within uh, Titus two three um, or, I'm sorry um, Titus two thirteen. Um, he says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, so again, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is, we, we know that, that um, both of these are, are, um, are, are applicating to, to Jesus. It's not saying our great God, comma, and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not talking about two individuals here, but it's pa- placing both those attributes on Jesus due to the way that's written in Greek. I'm not going to go huge into that, um, but it, it, it follows the Granville Sharps rule um, and, and the way that you know it, 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 it relates to um, within the singular to a singular person. Um, Second Peter um, one one also shows this um, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. So again, um, we see the same Greek rule here: righteous of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Again, pointing to the divinity of Christ. Uh, John chapter. 8, um, verse 58, um, it says, very, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham here, or before Abraham was born, I am. And within the Greek, it's talking about, um, it's the, the, the Greek word there, um, is ego a me, which is the same, uh, uh, the same I am that's used all throughout the Old Testament. 
um, in um, Isaiah and other um, books of the Old Testament. Um, so again, equating to the status, the co-divinity um, that Jesus has um, through um, his, his, his own divinity, but in, in co-equal parts with, with God the Father and, and the Holy Spirit. Um, with John 13, 19, um, he says, I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you'll be you will believe that I am who I am again, using that ego Amos or ego Ame revelations, uh, 22, uh, 12, uh, talks about, um, the divinity of the father again. Um, but I want to use this in relation to what it later says, um, or what it, what it says early, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Revelation 22 talks about the divinity of Jesus, but I want to use this in relation to what it says earlier in the book about God. Um, Relations 22, verse 13 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, um, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, Alpha and Omega being the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. But later on, or earlier within Revelations 1, speaking about God, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Um, John 20 um, says that uh, in verses 28 and 29 um, says, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you believed. Blessed are those that who have not seen me and yet have believed. So the implication here is that if, if Jesus wasn't divine in his, in his being, he would, he would have provoked um, Thomas on, on that, or, or um, you know, uh, told Thomas that that wasn't right, and, and we don't see that happening. Instead, we see him praising Thomas for believing and then talking about those who don't believe. Um, in John 1, uh, he says, The Word became flesh, the flesh became, uh, and the, uh, the, uh, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He ha- we have seen his glory the glory of the one and the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And again, we see that the divinity of Christ there. Um, but again, it says comes from the Father. He's, he's not the same thing as, as the Father. He's not the same person as we used previously as the Father. And we see that in John 17, um, verse 5. Uh, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So we see two different things here. We see God or that, that Jesus is, has, has existed for longer than time itself. Um, like God, um, and, and, or God, the, like God, the father, like what we understand with God, the father. Um, but, uh, he, he is not God, the father. He is something separate. Um, so again, I, I think that, that, with those scriptures, we can we can point to the divinity of Jesus. We can point to the divinity of uh, of God. We can say that they're separate, um, but they are co-equal in uh, their their divinity. Um, in Acts uh, chapter five, um, verse three and four, I want to talk about the uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, then Peter said, "Ananias." How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? 
Um, did it not belong to you before it was sold? After the or, and after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Um, you made or what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. So again, here it's it's relating the Holy Spirit to um, to uh, um, divinity by stating um, you you have not lied just to humans, um, but also to God. You know the, the 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 Holy Spirit again is something that that you know we often to to think of as as just this 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 um this this non personal being um, that that exists um, that that is here to help us but but it, the the Holy Spirit actually has personhood and check and, and Acts um, chapter thirteen verse two says while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit said. Set apart the um, set apart for me uh, Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have been call, or I have called them, and again coming straight from the Holy Spirit, um, showing some personage there. So the Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead, and we'll get into what the Godhead looks like in a little bit. Um, Acts ten nineteen, uh, while Peter was thinking about the vision, uh, the Spirit said to him, Simon. Three men are looking for you. Um, so again, the Spirit is talking directly to a person. There are other examples. Um, even Jesus talks about the personage of, uh, of the Holy Spirit. He says, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. So again, um, uh, talking to uh, the, the Holy Spirit, talking of the Holy Spirit as if it's uh, in his personage. Um, you can't blaspheme something that's that's only spirit um, that has no person. Uh, Ephesians four thirty says, "And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the last or for the day of redemption." And then uh, Matthew twenty eight nineteen uh, also speaks to the the, the personage of of, uh, of the Holy Spirit. Um, and Hebrews uh, ten twenty nine, which says, "How many? How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace?" Again, speaking about the Holy Spirit. Um, so that leads me. So again, we we've we've we discussed um, through these passages that that God uh, that the Father God is is divine. He's God, um, but he's not the same person as Christ. He's not the same person as the the Holy Spirit. Um, each of those are are also divine, but they're not the same person as the Father. But they they do share divinity, um, and in. And, and kind of wrapping all of these thoughts together, um, I, I want to look at uh, Isaiah um, uh, chapter 43, verse 10. Um, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant who I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be any uh, one after me. And then, again, within Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, says, This is what the Lord says, 
Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. And then one more. Isaiah 45, verse 21, says, Declare what it is to be present, uh, present it. Let, there be, let them take counsel together. For or who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. So, if we think about this, if we think about this logically, I think we can um, say that that you know, based upon these these few passages, and there's many more. Um, within Isaiah uh, alone, much less the the other books of the Old Testament um, and and even New Testament, that there's there's only one God. Um, there's only one God being. Um, uh, so we we don't believe in polytheism. We believe in in monotheism. We don't believe in many gods. We believe in in one God. Um, but but our the the um, the one true God um, that we believe in has three persons. That's a, a part of him. It doesn't take away from his divinity or the divinity of any one person. We believe in something called triunity, which Paul Paul um, alluded to earlier. Um, three in one, three who's, one what, um, three persons, one God. Um, there's a, uh, a an author, um, James White. He wrote um, the uh, Forgotten Trinity. Um, he says, within one being exist um, three, or um, sorry, within one being exist eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons. And so, if we think about it like that, again, God's God the Father is not Jesus the Son. He's not the Holy Spirit, um, but yet they are all. God, they are all divine, and um, they are are all represent, or they they all represent the the uh, the Godhead and what we believe. Josh, that's very good. You uh, put a lot of time into getting that together and and um, the construction of your thoughts. I appreciate that so much, <clears throat> Dan. You remember being at Caesarea Philippi. You remember being shown that you remember the question that Jesus asked his disciples at that location, who do me and say that I am? One of the reasons being is if you remember in the on the face of you know, that's where the Jordan River, <clears throat> Mount Hermon Hermon, Hermon, it's above it and snow capped mountains <laughs> and, and the water melts and the ice melts and it seeps through the crack and then that's the head river, that's the the head of the Jordan River. Okay, yeah, but you remember the us, you know, it was Larry Wade who took us up there and showed us. I don't think Jimmy DeYoung ever did that for us, but did he do that as well? Okay, my memory is failing me there, but I remember being taken up there, and in that there was a, there was a, etched in that those stones, there was gods of their, you know, the people then, because they believed in many gods. Right. There were idols etched into the walls. They were. And that was the, that was the place where Jesus say, who do men say that I am Right. to his disciples? And it was, it was Peter, he acknowledged who Jesus was. And he was, he was a, a man, he'd come to the understanding. Do you remember before then, the devils were trying to point out who Jesus was? The devils knew. 
even in the later part of the New Testament, it says the devils know when they tremble. Okay, so but they were trying to point, and, and what was Jesus said? Shut up! I don't want you telling. I don't want you telling people who I am. I want them to come to understand who I am. And boy, that's a blessing. It's a blessing that Peter acknowledged who God was and who God is. And and I know, Dan, you've got some things to say as well. But I just like to just jump back to the first chapter in the Bible. And he said, let us. And, and, and it, you know, the Bible is constructed in a way that it is accurate. It's uh, in, <clears throat> It's authentic, and <clears throat> so uh, there's, Josh, you've already mentioned plurality there, and there's that right there in that, let us. He also said about the husband-wife when he created Adam and Eve, and the verse of Scripture that uh, I would like to refer to in that regard is also found in Genesis very early on, I think. Let me see it for sure. I think it's in chapter number two. It said, therefore. Therefore shall a man leave his father, it's verse 24 in chapter 2, and his mother shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. But they're still two people, but they become one flesh. Uh, over in the book of John, you referred to a lot of places in John, and I appreciate all of it, uh, Josh. But some of, some of my uh, favorite is in John 17. I think you referred to some of it in John 17. But I love what Jesus was saying. These are his words. And he said, uh, uh, verse 21 of chapter 17, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou hast gave, that which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are. And so, wow, that's a, to me, that's a blessing that uh, we become as, you know, we are labeled the sons of God, not the son of God, but uh, oh, what manner of the love that God has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God, you know, simply by faith in Christ. But wow, uh, yeah, they are coexistent and they are co-eternal persons. Uh, I have I had a friend in uh, Panama City, Florida. Uh, he was co-pastor of a, of a, a church there, and and uh, to me, you know, it, that being a co-pastor is is different from an associate pastor are different than an, an assistant pastor. Uh, but a co-pastor is, you don't have a senior pastor and then an assistant. You have two people who are pastoring the same church, and so they're co. And so I'm thinking being a co-pastor, both pastors have the same kind of authority, one or the other. And so I, I may be way off base on that. But uh, anyways, Genesis talks about us and Dan go ahead my mind is just running everywhere that's all right mine's in neutral so I I gotta I gotta get out and push it just a little bit (laughs) Uh, so uh, you know you you use an interesting word what you're just saying you're talking about co-pastors having equal authority 
So the first word, and, and granted, never been a pastor. I've, I've had an opportunity to serve in different positions in a church, but uh, uh, so I, I don't have the same viewpoint as you do, but, you know, your viewpoint is unique to the three of us. Uh, but looking from the pews up toward the podium, and that's interesting. We're going to have to write a book or something from the pew to the podium. Anyway, uh, so but anyway, looking from the pew toward the podium, you say authority. I see responsibility. So, you know, co-pastors carry a, an equal responsibility for the church uh, that they're pastoring, which is fascinating. If you look at this, we see Jesus Christ as the bridegroom of the church. Uh, but he gave he gave the Holy Spirit as the comforter for the church. And we as the church worship God, pray to God the Father, We, uh, as we were taught by Jesus. And then we are dependent upon the Father who meet our needs to give us our daily bread, to guide us and lead us. And... It's fascinating, as, as Josh has already done an excellent job highlighting the divinity of Christ. Uh, I, I'm fascinated by the scripture, and I had it on the screen a few minutes ago. There's just been so many things that Josh uh, said. But uh, somebody help me with the passage. What What is the passage where it says, uh, I and the Father are one? So that's, uh, I think it's John 10. Is that right? And, and that's what we were discussing a couple of weeks ago where Jesus was talking to his disciples, and uh, I think it was Philip that said, you know, show us the Father. And it was kind of like Jesus said, Phil, have I not been here the whole time, dude? And, if, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if, you know, I, I am in the Father, the Father's in me, we are one together. And, and I think there's some confusion that comes up there, and even admittedly of myself, where I see he and the Father are one, and even the, some of the language that he uses, uh, it's easy for people to think, well, maybe Jesus Christ is God the Father. Uh, yes and no. So uh, just as Dad was pointing to uh, Genesis, you know, this, there's this fascinating mystery there of three in one, as Josh has already said, the, the, the Trinity, the triune God, the three unified together to make one. Uh, Dad was talking about the altar of Pan, which is at Phil, uh, Caesarea Philippi. It was in that general area where Jesus was talking to his disciples. And what's fascinating is my mind's eye, and I don't recall if that passage talks about the time of day when it was, but I almost wonder if it was a little dark dusk or after nightfall that Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples because there's this indented cave area that they would have a perpetual fire burning down in that cave. And then people would come and toss their sacrifices into that fire to the God Pan. And as you're sitting there looking toward that cave, if you can imagine a fire burning in a cave, you're looking at the flames and the smoke coming out of that cave. Whenever it talks about whenever Jesus talks to his disciples at that same time, talking about how he's going to make his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's he's got a visual example of that so that his disciples can see that with their own eyes and it can sear that thought into their mind but similar to that that's that concept is called an object lesson 
So there's there's a couple of fascinating object lessons I was hoping one of you two would bring out uh, that I've seen in, in my life when trying to explain the Trinity. And, and it's it's a fascinating thing to begin to help you think about it, but, you know, it still falls short. So, for instance, if you look at if you look at water, if you're familiar with water, if you remember your science class uh, in probably seventh or eighth grade, junior high, uh, elementary, maybe even you talk about the different states of water. So, uh, water can be liquid in its uh, natural state that we're used to seeing it, but then if if water becomes too cold, water becomes frozen. And then once once water is in its frozen state, we call it ice. And inversely, if you heat water up and it becomes too hot, the molecules begin moving around too much, and it generates something called steam. So using that as an example, you can begin to see how that water can actually have three different states. Where this, uh, where this object lesson falls short, though, it's showing a single entity of the water and how that it's in three states. And that falls short because the Holy Spirit and God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, are three persons, three separate entities, and yet they are still one. So the uh, the example of the egg, you may have seen this. You can hold an egg up that's, that's, a, that's a raw egg. You hold it up and you show the viewer and you ask them, what's in my hand? And Everyone can easily identify it. They'll tell you it's an egg. The great example I've seen uses a glass bowl and then like a mixing bowl, and you crack the egg open and you empty the contents of the egg inside of the bowl. And then you hold up the shell, which is now broken. You hold up the bowl that contains the white and the yolk from the egg. You hold them both up to the to the student and you ask the question, so which one of these items in my hand is not egg and then they look at it and they go well it's egg but yet there's egg is in the bowl and also egg is in my hand in the shelf correct yes then you set that down on the table and you dip out the egg yolk and you put that in a smaller glass container and then you point to all three the shell the white and the yolk and you ask your student again which one of these is not egg and then they begin to see that the egg that you originally started with has three distinctive parts, but each part of the egg, although distinctive, still remains egg. So that's a better better explanation of the, the Trinity. However, as Dad's already alluded to, the absolute best example is in Genesis. Because he as dad as dad quoted correctly. Let us make man in our own image, plural, our own image. And then what's fascinating, if you follow that story closely, they made man. They made this man by the name of Adam. And then God saw all this creation that it was good, but he also saw that Adam was lonely. So he caused a sleep to fall upon Adam. And then he took from Adam a rib. So I think there's a lot of figurative language here. Uh, so, but at the same time, often I am a literalist when it comes to reading scripture, and I know it's poetic in many places. You know, it, we can pick apart every little part, but in this instance, rib. I kind of like to think God actually took a rib. So not not just 
I think he physically took a rib. But along with that rib, he took took other things from Adam. He took everything that we see as feminine attributes. I, I think that Adam was a complete and perfect man when he was created because he was created in God's image, in the triune God's image. And then when he created Eve, he took Eve from Adam and he made her because Adam, when he saw Eve, you know, he was caught up naming all the animals that God brought in front of him. And he looked at Eve and he went, you're a woman because you come from man. So he called her woman because she was from him. And he, he was man. Therefore, that solidifies the understanding that woman came from man. Adam and Eve now separate from each other were persons, individuals, but together they come back together to make one. So I, I had a friend one time who's Catholic, and he, he came to me and he said, I heard something at the parish this weekend that's very disturbing. He said, can you help me with this? And I'm looking forward to Dad and Josh commenting on this in a minute. So I, I'm, I'd be interested in their comments. But he said, can you help me? He said, uh, my priest gave a, a homily this weekend that uh, was a little disconcerting for me. And I know that you, uh, you know, you're son of a Baptist preacher and you've been to Bible school and all that. So can you help me figure this out? I said, I'll, I'll try. He said, my pastor, or, or he said, my priest said that God might be a woman. He said, that bothers me. He said, what, what do you think about that? And I said, let me, let me think about it for a little while. And a little while later, I, I went back to him and I said, I, I think I might have your answer. So I took him back to this passage in, in uh, Genesis where God created man in our own image. And then he drew woman from man. I said, so therefore, if Adam was made in the image of God and Eve came out of Adam, I said, then we see the feminine and the masculine attributes in Adam originally. And I said, then they were separated into two entities, one known as Adam, one known as Eve. One being man, one being woman, one being male, one being female. And I said, so it's fascinating. Look at this. I said, but I said, I've got two entities in this. And I said, I, the, the only thing that I think I'm missing, I said, there's a third individual that needs to be here. He said, what's the third individual? I said, that would be the Holy Spirit. I said, because you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I said, but I said, if you think about it, this is fascinating. When you get into the Jewish wedding ceremony, when you get into the Christian wedding ceremony, I said there's an expression that's used in Judeo-Christianity and Judaism. And it talks about how that a man shall leave his, his family, and he shall join himself to his wife, and the two shall become one. And I said, but bear in mind, this expression, this visual thing is done again in a Jewish, Judeo uh wedding ceremony. It's also done in a Christian, a Judeo-Christian wedding ceremony. Therefore, these are these are religious ceremonies based off of scriptural teaching, off the Bible, and off the Jewish version of that, which they call the uh, Tanakh and the Torah. I said, but based off those things, I said, the two shall come together and be one, but then they have a blessed union by God. I said, so when you have two people who are believers in God and they join together in that common belief 
and they become one together in that belief, and they move through the rest of their life together as one. I said, that third thing is there because you can see that third thing is the Holy Spirit, and it is in, it is wrapped and twine, entwined around that relationship, binding them together. I said, so therefore, if you want to see an image of God, the true male-female attributes of God, I said, look for two believers who have a God-centered marriage, who have a God-centered life. I said, those people who are living that life together, I said, now you begin to get a glimpse of what God kind of looks like. I said, so fascinating question you asked. I said, you asked if God's male or female, and my answer would be he's both and he's neither. I said, he refers to himself in the masculine. He is God the Father. Jesus Christ was on this earth as God the Son. I said, both are masculine. I said, uh, and God puts all the responsibility on men. He puts it at their feet. It is they who will lead their family. It is they who will give an account for their family. And I said, so I believe that he intentionally anchors that on the masculine side. I said, but God is is so complete, it would be difficult to define him as either male or female. So, Dad and Josh, what are your thoughts? Is God male, female, neither? No, I like your explanation. I never had heard it put that way, but I like, I like what it says. Yeah, so I, I got... Um, I got uh, um, approached uh, probably a few years back. Um, it's probably been four years or so at Target by a member of the um, Mother God Church, um, and they believe that that in that that first first two chapters of Genesis, whenever it, it talks about the plurality of God, that's speaking to a Father God and a Mother God, um, and and then the Holy Spirit and and Jesus. And so um, he asked me, um, you know, as as trying to witness to me for his um, for for his church, um, he asked me, you know, what what I thought, and um, you know, I gave him the the, the retrospective answer that that um, pretty much what Dad just laid out. But I think it's both. I, I think it's you know, it's um, the like you said, the God created Adam, and then out of Adam, he created woman. He and that's not to say that woman's not not made in God's image. Woman's very much made in God God's image, but he was she was a part of Adam. She was she came from Adam, in the same way. Um, the the whole the God um, is not female or male. He's 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 yes he's 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 both. He's he's what we're what we're based off of. He's we're made in His image. Doesn't mean that that. That he's masculine doesn't mean that he's feminine. He has qualities of both. We see, you know, qualities, the Jehovah Jireh. We see a, a God that takes care of us, a God that nurtures to our physical needs. Um, and then we see the God that tells us that man does not uh, live on bread alone. He, he um, goes to our, our spiritual needs, and then he stands up for his people. He, you know, he's there's there, there's so many different sprinklings of, of the the different characteristics of God um, throughout the, the Bible, Old and New Testament. 
and neat and and some of them are feminine uh in in care or in in nature and some of them are masculine in nature i don't think that it's it's two individuals i don't think that it's it's um that are they're working off of um each other i think that it's 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 the the godhead that we've described out that you know it's it's just how god is it's it's who god is um he's he's both nurturing and and uh and and um, at the same time, he's protective and and uh, and responsible, and and you know it's 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 all these things that you would you would on by themselves you would attribute more masculine or more feminine, but put together we get something completely new, and and that is God. You know what this um, this gender question. This this helps me a little bit because I, I'll be honest with you, and and I I hope I don't offend anybody who's listening. It's not my intent, so please forgive me if I do. But whenever we talk about the church being the bride of Christ, so I listen. I was born, raised in the South. I'm an old fat white guy, so I, I'm just saying that. To put a caveat out to uh, to to acknowledge my culture and my background and I realize all those things and that environment has shaped what I'm about to share. So whenever we talk about the church being the bride of Christ uh, and that, that Christ is the husband and he's the bridegroom of the church, that's, that's kind of bugged me at times, you know, because the bride is the feminine role and in the relationship it's the I, I think what it gets to really it's the weaker role it's the weaker vessel it's the uh uh that that man right there taught me something fascinating I, i've watched him as an example of my life uh and he's taught me what it means to be a husband i, I learned a long time ago a husband is a caretaker now there's a husband of a vineyard the discipline and, and science of learning to take care of animals is called husbandry. And the root of this word in English language means caretaker. So if you, if you really take your job seriously as a husband, it is your responsibility to take care of your wife's needs. You may not be able to fulfill all of her, her wants, but you need to do your best to fulfill all of her needs. So, and be her caretaker. So, I, uh, I I take that job very very seriously as in in my marriage to my wife who is much better than I deserve. So I uh, I have not always done that, but God's teaching me as I grow up. But shame that it's taken me to get to fifty to start to realize things like that. Josh, don't don't be stupid like your dad. Be a whole different kind of stupid, but don't be that stupid like this. So. Uh, but um, I've always had a problem uh, just accepting the weaker role in my relationship with Christ. But, of course, you've heard the past couple of weeks the the weakness that I've been in and how God's been my strength, and he's shown up and been there to provide for me. He's been my provider. He's been my caretaker. But at times, my ego and my masculinity has gotten in the way, and I'm not like that. I had a friend tell me one time he didn't want Jesus to be his boyfriend. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I got it. 
And he's like, I want him to be my captain. I want him to be my leader, taking me into battle. Don't sit around and hug on me. He said, you know, get let's get up and go for go for for a fight somewhere. So I got it. So what you guys ever felt that way? I heard someone say this week or saw what somebody had written. It's uh, you can't be the bride of Christ and the girlfriend of Satan. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I think the way that I have looked at it, because I mean, it, it does bug me just the the feminality of it all, and I I I'm way too stubborn to see past it. Um, but what's what's helped me out is is looking at it more from you know a relationship, uh, the 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 non physical relationship that I have with my wife, um, who again, like much like Patty, is is much too good for me, um, but. Uh, I, you know, it, it, the that type of being being open, completely open, and and stripped apart with each other, and and you know that that ideal type of relationship that you that the couple strive to strive to have, um, you know, that's the type of relationship that 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 Christ is bringing to us. It's not it's not something that He's being open and honest with us, and He's He's being nurturing and He's taking care of us, all of our needs. But um, if we can get out of the way of ourselves and and be completely open and honest with somebody that already knows everything about us, anyways, then you know we we can we can have that type of that that type of marriage um, in the non physical sense with with somebody that 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 desires to have that type of relationship with us. That's good. You know, when you're being when you're being open and honest with somebody who already knows you, it's fascinating because. You're actually just being honest with yourself because they already know you. And if you're going to lie to them, they know you're lying. But if you're going to be open and honest, you're you're admitting, you know, probably your frailty, your fails, your failures, your uh, your imperfections. And um, and that's that's what we need to be doing with Christ. Yep. Man. So we're, we're actually going to wrap it up. Yeah, I was about to say, we're keeping Dad away from bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just like to close with a couple of verses out of the book of Romans, chapter number 11, verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past, finding out. And so we're just finite, finite beings trying to understand him and He's going to make it all clear to us someday. Part of it now, all of it then. Mm-hmm. I love you guys. Okay, Father, we bow in your presence in Jesus' name. What a blessing it is, Lord. We want to call up, baby. Father, our God, Jesus Christ, we, we are told that if we pray and ask anything in his name, it'll be done for us. We have, we're taught in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit helps us with those prayers. He's an intercessor who lives within. We speak then through him to an intercessor in heaven who is seated at the right hand of the Father. What a blessing it is to know you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Many people tonight, probably each one of us know, are in need of us calling upon you in behalf of them. And so our prayers are for those dear ones, those beloved of our lives 
for their family or friends. I pray that your help would come to them in a speedy way. Thank you, Father, for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're enjoying the Thanks to Calvary podcast, make sure to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thanks to Calvary. If you would like to reach out to us for prayer requests, ideas for future episodes, or just to say hi, message us on Facebook or leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm slash thanks to Calvary slash message or email us at thanks to Calvary podcast at gmail.com. 